You're listening to audio from Praxis Church Kelowna. Praxis is a new church plant that exists to follow Jesus and make him known. If you are interested in finding out more or joining us in person, go to praxischurch.ca. Our reading today comes from Genesis chapter 41, verses 46 to 57. It says, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it, and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for, he said, God has made for me God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, what he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'll invite uh, Pastor Ezra up to preach the word this morning. Good morning. Some of you know me and some of you don't. If you do not know who I am, my name is Ezra. I'm one of the pastors at Northview Community Church in Abbotsford. And it's such a joy uh, to be here with all of you. I've been here, I think this is my third time, I think, uh, being at Praxis. And it's always a joy coming to uh, (coughs) share the word of God with all of you. Before we jump into the text that we have this morning, I'd like to pray and invite the Lord to speak as uh, we look at the word together. Let's pray. (coughs) Gracious Father, we have sung about your majesty, the work of your hands, your beauty, your saving grace. Father, this morning we acknowledge that there is no God beside you. There is none who is like you. And Father, this morning as we settle ourselves and engage your word, we pray, dear Father, that you would speak to us. Father, I've just just arranged words on a page here 
but only you can make this message come alive in the in the hearts and the minds and the lives of people. And so I pray, dear Father, this morning, would you accomplish your purposes today? Thank you for Praxis Church. Thank you for all that has been happening here, Lord. Thank you for the wonderful things, the wonderful testimonies that we keep hearing. And thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. And I pray that you'd continue to shine your face upon this community. And so, fathers, we look at your word. Would you speak to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you have a Bible, you want to go to Genesis 41. Genesis 41, and my passage, my assignment was basically verse 46 all the way to the end of um, Genesis 43. So it's an interesting, it's a long text, um, but I'm only going to zero in on the portion that was read this morning because that basically captures the gist of the theme that has been assigned to me this morning. Now, I don't know about you, but there are times when in my life I wonder. When, when, when the ebbs and flows and the highs and lows of life come, God shows his faithfulness in so many ways. And uh, I can tell you testimony after testimony after testimony of God's faith, faithfulness in my own life practically and personally and also in the lives of other people who I know, who have been close to, God has been very faithful to them and has answered prayer. And I'm sure for you, God has also been faithful in multiple occasions for you and the things um, that, that you've been through, the highs and the lows and the in-betweens. But then there are times when situations come, circumstances that were unforeseen show up, and you wonder, um, is God... Is he going to get me through this? A good example would be, of course, here in Kelowna, many of you would have experienced the fires that were here this past summer. Well, there was an elder from Northview, the church where I pastor, an elder who moved from Abbotsford. He was one of the elders in our church, and he moved to Kelowna, built a beautiful home out here beautiful home with a little pool and everything he he can work uh, he's very good with his hands so he only employed the trades of things that needed certification like electrical and all those pieces but everything else this guy did himself beautiful home and I remember coming out here one time and I stayed at his house wonderful home him his wife and his three children this summer during the fires his house was one of those houses that was leveled to ashes. And I met him at a wedding that I was uh, officiating this summer around July. And I asked him, buddy, how are you doing? And he says, yes, the Lord is faithful. Thank you for the prayers. They are carrying us along. But you could see in his eyes, there's the question, Lord, are you, are you going to come through? Are you, are you going to be faithful? There's always the question, yes, God is faithful, but when you're in it, is he, is he gonna? You see, today's story, today's story, today's passage basically answers that question. And I love the fact that we as Christians, we gather together in God's house to remind ourselves, of course, we all know that God is faithful, don't we? We all know, you know that God is faithful. 
But when you're in it, sometimes you begin to wonder, Lord, I'm trying to see your faithfulness here when there is cancer here, when there is the mortgage rates of what they are and, and my business is not going well or my relationships are falling apart. Sometimes it is hard to remember and actually believe that God can be trusted. This story is that reminder to all of us that God can be trusted even when life's major obstacles come god can still be trusted he can still be trusted when all hope is gone when you think that it's all dead god shows up and he radically changes things around beyond our expectations this is the god whom we worship this is the god we've been singing about he turns things around beyond our wildest expectations. So I have two points for my message this morning to all of us. The first is just the preparation and the second, the provision. And from the story, if you were following the story when it was being read here, it's very obvious. Of course, the, Joseph is now the second most powerful person in Egypt. And he's been given this responsibility to make sure that the nation stores up enough grain in the first seven years of plenty so that they have enough for the seven years of famine. So, of course, the seven years of plenty, it's time to prepare. It's prepare, prepare, prepare. Because God is providing for you in the first years of plenty. He's providing what you will eat in the season of famine and of course it's very straightforward but i'd like to take this plow a little deeper because there is a story behind the story that we just read here there is more happening here so the preparation is my first point and underneath that i'll just say you know god is working behind the scenes so let me just pause there, pause the sermon, and, and speak to you. Pretend I'm at Starbucks with you, okay? Just you and I, Starbucks. And you're going through whatever it is you're going through. I will say this. You may not know the answer to the, the end of your story, of your journey, of the challenges you may be facing. But one thing I know for sure. God is working behind the scenes. Now you may say, hey, but Ezra, I keep praying and I keep asking God, Lord, um, show me something. Like, help me here. Like, give me a little sign to which I'll say, yeah, you may not see the sign. And it may seem like every time you're praying, your prayers kind of hit the ceiling and come down. Make no mistake. God never left. He never left. He is still working behind the scenes. And this story is evidence of it. So let me show you why I say God is working behind the scenes. So our passage begins with Joseph was 30 when he entered the service of Pharaoh. Pause there. Where was he? He was in prison. Joseph's life in Egypt was not easy. He was experiencing challenge and struggle for 13 years straight. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. And then things go well at Potiphar's house, if you remember the story. Only for Potiphar's wife to want relationships with him that he did not want to engage in. And he says, no, 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 he does the right thing. 
And in doing the right thing, he ends up being framed by this woman. And now he's thrown in prison unjustly. Where was God? And so now he's in it. See, we know his suffering was 13 years. Joseph didn't know. He had no idea. He was going through the motions. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. Will it get worse? And make no mistake, prisons back in, the, in Joseph's day were not necessarily cushy or posh. But what is interesting, what is interesting is what we read in Genesis 39. Joseph was in prison. Genesis 39:21 But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. When you read that passage, sometimes you just read that passage in passing and we move on that verse and we just move on. But just pause and just think for a moment. If I told you, Oh, the Lord is with you. You would assume, well, you know what? You live in a big house on a hill. You have a good account. Your kids are great. You have a wonderful spouse. Health is good. Your family is great. Your parents are doing well. Like everything is going good, right? The sun is shining on you. Your business plans and, and, and your entrepreneurial um, ventures, man, they are just skyrocketing. When I say something like the Lord is showing you his steadfast love, and his favor is upon you. You would think, oh, success. But where was Joseph? See, the steadfast love of God and his mercy and his favor can still be upon you in prison. So just because you're going through difficult trials and challenges does not mean that the steadfast love of God left. He is the one who is carrying you along. He's the one who's sustaining you. Oh, but Lord, I, I don't have. Yeah, but you have enough to get milk for your family. You have enough to make end, ends meet that month. Oh, but Lord, I would love to feel secure. Yeah, no, your security is in me. I'll give you enough for today. Tomorrow I'll give you some more for tomorrow and the tomorrow after that. Your security is in me, not in the supplies in the pantry. The steadfast love of the Lord was with Joseph. God was working behind the scenes. Here again, in our story, Joseph is now 30, entering into the king's service. But God was working behind the scenes, preparing preparing him and preparing the circumstances for Joseph to be here. In other words, God would be like this chess master, and he has all these pieces. Now, I have no idea how to play chess, but I'm going to guess, so work with me, okay? So you have all these pieces here, all these pawns, and the person you're playing with, you know, you, you kinda, he kind of gives you something, you take it, and he gives you another, you take it, you think, oh, I am winning. <laughs> you think you're winning, you think. And he's giving you, and he's giving you, all of a sudden, he makes one move, and you're done. Checkmate. This is how God works in many ways. Where you might think you have him on a corner and then he shows you, I actually went to this corner myself so that you can position yourself and game over. This is a story of the gospel of Jesus, right? 
he comes, meek and humble. No beauty that would attract us to him. He was despised by so many. And he was put on a tree. And the, the religious leaders and the Romans thought, oh, when we crucify Christ, it's over. Oh, really? You don't know you're playing right into God's hand. They crucified him. What happened on the third day? It was checkmate. See, this is how God works. He's always working behind the scenes. So in Joseph's case, in Joseph's case, how did God set it up so that Joseph would now be 30 entering into Pharaoh's, um, Pharaoh's service? There were these dreams that Joseph had. You start all the way, chapter 37, where he has this dream about how the interpretation of the dream is he will be above his brothers and his dad and his brothers will bow down. And there's all this hatred that the brothers have toward him. And then they sell him. And then Joseph is now in, in prison. And while in prison, he has these dreams. Not him. The baker and the cupbearer of the king have these dreams. But they cannot um, interpret and then Joseph is the one who interprets these things. And these guys are released. And then Pharaoh has a dream. And then Joseph is remembered, oh, this guy can interpret dreams. No one else could except Joseph. Except God who was working in and through. God is setting this thing up. And as he's setting the things up, there are seasons where things go sideways. And things go terrible for Joseph. And yet God is still busy moving the pieces together. God is the one who allowed Joseph's brothers to sell him as a slave. God is the one who made it possible for Joseph to have the dream that causes his brothers to hate him. That causes his brothers to sell him as a slave. They sell him as a slave and then God blesses Joseph in Potiphar's house. And then Potiphar's wife looks at Joseph and has an eye for him, but he wants none of that. God was right there. Why didn't God make the situation ever? No, God allowed for Joseph to now be framed and betrayed and put in prison. Who was working behind the scenes? God was moving the pawns. So Joseph is in prison right now. And then uh, the cupbearer and the baker have these dreams God working behind the scenes, Joseph gives them the appropriate, appropriate interpretation of the dream. Again, God working behind the scenes. These two are released. The, the baker is killed. The cupbearer gets his position. Joseph pleading, dude, remember me. The guy forgets for two years. Until Pharaoh has this crazy dream that no one could interpret. Who's working behind the scenes? God is. Moving the pieces together. All the while, 13 years, Joseph is wallowing in hardship and crying for his parents. Question, what season are you in right now? You might be in a very difficult season in your life right now. Could it be? 
that the Lord is still moving the pawns in your life? He is working behind the scenes here. And what is interesting, what is interesting, what I find remarkable is the fact that even as God is moving the pieces, he's also using people who are pagans. So an example would be the, uh, the cupbearer and the baker. Are these people God-fearers? No, they are not. They don't fear God. They don't worship the same God Joseph worships. And yet God chooses to allow this dream to come upon these people. And Joseph is the one who's interpreting it. And then Pharaoh has a dream. And all the magicians and all the wise men in Egypt could not interpret Pharaoh's dream. Only Joseph could. Here you see God again working even through pagans to accomplish his purpose. You know, sometimes I meet with um, a group of young men, about 25 young men who are in the, between the age of 18 and 30 out in Abbotsford every Monday. So tomorrow we'll be meeting. And we talk about the gospel and theology and everything. And I tell these guys, guys, when you come into our time together, all your assumptions about God, check them at the door. Why? Because this God you think you know, no, you don't. This God is a wild cowboy. He does things sometimes, and the way he works, he allows all sorts of tragedies to happen. And he, 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 he allows donkeys to talk. This God. When you think you know him, no, you don't. And so he and Joseph's story again, God moving the pieces and even using pagan Egyptians to move the pieces together. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, 29. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God works all things. He works all things for the good of those who love him. Question, the things that you're going through or the things a loved one is going through that you know about, that you wonder, what good is here? God is working all things. He's working all of them together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And we may not... We may not see it in the moment, but make no mistake, God is working behind the scenes. He can be trusted. He can be trusted. God is like a surgeon. You know, let's say, for, in, for instance, you have a knee issue and uh, your ACL is torn and now you hear testimonies, oh, Dr. So-and-so is really awesome. Dr. So-and-so is really awesome. He did this, he did this, and he has done surgeries for so many people and he's been very successful all the time. You go to this surgeon because you have a knee issue and this surgeon is to open you up. You will trust this surgeon because of the testimonies you have heard about him. This surgeon has done so good over the years. For so many people. And so you sit in front of this surgeon and he tells you, you know what? Uh, it's going to hurt. Yes, I will open you up. I will fix the issue, but it will hurt. You will be sore for a while, but you will be fine. But the, the process will be painful. What will you do? Of course, you'll put your leg there. And you allow the surgeon to do what he does best. 
to, to fix you. And at the end of the day, yes, it will hurt. But at the end, the results will be good. You will trust the surgeon because of the testimonies you've heard about him or her. Right? The Lord is the same way. See, many of us right now are feeling the pinch of the interest rates where they are right now. But in the room, there are some who are older, the gray heads in our room. Can I just say, each and every one of us, we need to really, really, really thank God for the gray heads in our room. You know why? Because they endured crazy interest rates in the 80s. They can tell you stories about what happened in the 80s. And they continue to trust the Lord today. And each and every one of them has a story about the faithfulness of God in the midst of crazy interest rates. My point here being, this God can be trusted the same way he took all these families through the crazy interest rates in the 80s, the same way he can take you through it. He's moving the pawns. He's, he's working behind the scenes. He's preparing you and I for what he has in store for us tomorrow. So Joseph was 30. And God prepared it for, was preparing stuff behind the scenes to bring him to this spot. So he's 30, point number two. So there's the provision here. Of course, again, just a reminder, there's the preparation. And the, and the simple way to look at this text is, yes, this preparing because all this grain has been given and you're preparing for the famine time. But there's also preparing that is happening for God to bring Joseph to this position of power. So now Joseph ascends into this position of power. There is this provision, God's steadfast love for his children. Now God is going to demonstrate his steadfast love for his people. Now this is remarkable. Let me show you why I say it is remarkable. So <clears throat> Joseph, 13 years of hardship, the hardship was the betrayal of his family, and of course the slavery he had to endure, and then there's this affliction that he has to face, this unjust imprisonment, and now he's 30, second most powerful person, and enter this extraordinary years of abundance that God provides. Now, I want you to think about it this way. So Joseph is a prisoner, Pharaoh knows nothing of Joseph. This is the same Pharaoh who took the head of the baker. Okay? The baker's head was taken. So Pharaoh, Pharaoh has, he does not hesitate to take out anyone who's serving under him. Okay? So this is Pharaoh. So he has this dream no one can interpret. Joseph shows up. And Joseph tells the, the Pharaoh, this is the meaning of your dream. What if Joseph is wrong? What if Joseph was off? Because Pharaoh said, oh, this is great. Give him all the power. It had better come true, though. 
it had better be true. So Joseph now takes this ring and takes all these accolades and you will read them in the front end of our chapter here where he has all these the chariots and this secret service people walking around him and everything like this dude has arrived. The garments, the everything, the wealth, the power, the pomp, all of it. What if it ain't true? So in other words, Joseph had to really trust that what God was saying to him was true. And then he jumped right in. See, you and I many times, we have this book. We have this book. And this book will tell you so many things about God. And so many things about how he works. And so many things about what is good, true, and beautiful. What is good, true, and beautiful about all things. Including all the social issues that we are struggling with today. You know them. This book will tell you. And it will give you answers to those questions. The issue is, are we going to be courageous enough to say, you know what? This is good, true, and beautiful when it comes to human sexuality. This is good, true, and beautiful when it comes to marriage. This is good, true, and beautiful regarding the sanctity of life. Are we going to stand on what the scriptures say? Or are we going to cower a little bit? Because we are afraid of society's claws if we, if we stand on the truth of this book. So when God is giving Joseph the interpretation of Pharaoh's dream, sometimes we think, oh, it was an easy thing. Was it? Was it? So Joseph goes out there, tells the king, this is what's going to happen. And Joseph stands on the, on the word of the Lord whom he loves. The God who has sustained him all these years behind bars. And what happens? God provides this extraordinary abundance. There was grain. And then there was God kind of grain. Like they measured all the grain... And then they stopped measuring because it was so much. Like God opened the floodgates of heaven and the grain kept coming and coming and coming. And they measured and they measured. They stopped. It was so much. Let me give you a, an image that might help you really appreciate. You know, sometimes when you go through suffering and then a wave and a wave of suffering comes and you're just left distraught like you don't even know to do. You can't even speak. Now flip that. Let's say it's not suffering, but it's now blessing. And good keeps happening, and it keeps happening, and it keeps happening. And like, okay, enough. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And then it keeps coming, and it keeps coming, and you're now overwhelmed, and you don't even know what to do. You don't even know how to say thank you, because the word thank you is not sufficient enough to express how overwhelmed you are. You're just this is the kind of grain 
This is how God works. I'll give you another, another example of, of what I'm talking about. In John chapter 2, we read a story about Jesus at the wedding in Cana. And at this wedding, Jesus shows up. This is a first, his first miracle. So he shows up at the wedding and there's no wine. And so all sorts of things happen. It's a fantastic story. Anyway, Jesus now chooses to turn water into wine. So we read this story and we think, oh, Jesus turned water into wine. So it's not a big deal. Hmm? Now, we live in Kelowna. This would be kind of like wine country, you would say, right? Okay, so now I want you to imagine you're in a wedding, and in a wedding, they have good wine and everything. It should be available, and so on and so forth. But then the wine runs out, and, and oh dear. But you want your best wine first, and then kind of the leftover, the kind of wine at the last. Yeah, Jesus turned water into wine. In other words, the equivalent, the, the amount of wine Jesus produced was equivalent to 900 bottles of wine. Cana was wine country. And so the wedding master would know what good wine tastes like. And so the wine master is like, whoa, this is incredible wine. Do you know how much incredible wine costs today? Like it's obscene amount of money. So in other words, like the most expensive bottle of wine went for $500,000. Just think about that. So imagine wine that Jesus produced. How much would you pay for it? So 900 bottles of wine would be equivalent to, if we are now to, to uh, convert from first century to this time, we are talking somewhere, the, wine, the good wine that Jesus produced, almost half a billion dollars. Jesus drops a half a billion dollars at your wedding. This is, this is outrageous. This is abundance beyond his first miracle. When you see the grain here, it keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. It's so abundant, they stop measuring. This is how God works. This is, again, this is a story about God. Yes, it's Joseph, but it's a story about God. And how God works. So God shows up and delivers. He backs up what Joseph just said here. There'll be seven years of plenty. Oh, not just plenty. There'll be seven years of God-sized plenty. You will not be able to count. Now, in the midst of all of that, Joseph now remembers he thanks God. He has two sons. One Manasseh, the second Ephraim. And then he says of Manasseh, God has made me forget all my hardships and all my father's house. In other words, in other words, folks. It's not like he forgot. It's like, yes, there was so much pain and betrayal. My brothers hated me so much. They sold me into slavery, and then I was framed. I'm now in prison, and then I was in prison, and my buddy left, and I told him, remember me. He didn't remember me. He left me there for two years. It was hard, and now God has elevated me so much. God has elevated me so much that he has paid me above and beyond the suffering. 
So if, if I was to put a price tag on my suffering, oh, he paid more. He compensated more. See, in heaven, the scriptures say, he will wipe away every tear from your eye. What does that mean? You see the pain you're going through right now? This God who gives grain that Joseph stopped counting? This Jesus who came and he dropped half a billion in a wedding in form of wine? He said, I am going to prepare a place for you. Oh boy. What kind of place is he preparing for you? What kind of joy will he give you that will compensate for the challenges you're facing? This God. Oh my. Incredible. So God has made me forget. And then Ephraim, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Oh yeah, this is the same God. Now, enter famine. Seven years later, I'm almost done. The years of famine come. And so now here we enter into the part of the text that will not read chapter 42 and 43. And encourage you, read Genesis 42, 43, just to really appreciate the story. Joseph will be towing with the brothers. The brothers show up to him. And he's kind of like, oh, you guys are spies. But they can't, they, they can't recognize him. But he knew them all. And he wants to see, okay, are you guys still jerks the way you were? Is there still hate in you? And he toys with them and toys with them and so on. My point here is this. Joseph's brother's actions were wicked. They were very wicked. Okay? Did his brothers, based on their wicked act, did they deserve provision during the famine? Because they experienced famine as well. So they've come to Egypt. They're coming to Joseph saying, hey, give us grain. We want to buy grain. Should Joseph sell the grain to him? Just think about it. The depth of his brother's hate to sell him as a slave. Oh, my. They had deep hate. And Joseph may be crying and pleading, please, brothers, please don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. They're not hearing. They are deaf to his cries. The Ishmaelites come sell him off. Brothers, don't do this. Don't do this. How cold would his brothers have been to sell him? So my question then is, <clears throat> what should Joseph do to his brothers? <clears throat> Better yet, should God be merciful to these boys? What should a holy God do to these boys who just sold their brother? What should God do? You'd say, man, if I was God, I would throw the kitchen sink at these guys. I would put the hammer down. But this is not what God does. This is so not what God does. God, again, moving the pieces, the brothers do this wicked thing. And Joseph goes through all this crazy stuff. The point being, man chooses what he wants. But God gets what he wants. The brothers chose what they wanted. But God got what he wanted. So yes, you can do you all you want. But God eventually will get what he wants. Always. 
It doesn't matter what, what uh, ISIS will do to Christians. It doesn't matter what the government of Canada may do to our churches for our ethics and our moral conduct. It doesn't matter what people, people will do what they want, but God will get what he wants. Always. So the brothers <clears throat> do this wicked, despicable thing. And God will preserve Joseph and he will use unfortunate circumstances to accomplish his purpose. What was God's purpose? And here we see something glorious. God will now provide for these wicked boys through the young man whom they hated. God will make a way to feed these wicked boys through the one whom they sent as a slave to Egypt. Isn't that a type and shadow of the gospel? Where Christ came to his own and yet his own rejected him. Christ came to his own, his own rejected him. We had nothing to do. You and I loving the wrong things too much and the right things too little, we want nothing of God. Then Christ dies on a cross, a death not deserving him. He dies on a cross for you and I, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now seats at the right hand of the Father. Three days later, Christ is risen again. Savior and King, Lord of heaven and earth, sovereign ruler. And then he looks at you with your lusting, you with your deception, you with your hypocrisy, stinginess. You name the sins that we struggle with. We are filthy like Joseph's brothers. And God looks at us. Christ looks at us. Our actions are what put him on the cross. Christ looks at us. What should a holy God do to you and me? See, when you read 42 and 43, Joseph will put a table. He will spread a table for these same jerks who sold him into prison. What does God do for you and for me? He lays a table for us. And invites us to come and fellowship with him. We who loved the wrong things too much. We, we who licked the lollipop of idolatry. We loved the wrong things so much. And he'll invite you, come. You worship your other gods, yeah, come. And maybe you're seated here still worshiping the other god called money. The other god, you see... If you say, oh, I don't worship other gods, let me ask you this question. What, what thing, if it were taken from you, your life will crumble forever? If it is not God, then that thing is an idol. If it is not God. So what can I take? Or what could God take? Is it your health? Your beauty? Your money? Your family? Your job? Your business? What, if taken... Your life crumbles. If that thing is not God, that thing is an idol. It's competing for your affections as well. 
God invites you to come. And he puts a table. See, Christ is a true and better Joseph who endured so much suffering for this. So, in other words, God prepared. So, to put a bow on this sermon, and I'm done. To put a bow on this sermon, God prepared Joseph and put all sorts of circumstances, just working, working behind the scenes so that Joseph's brothers, this sinful, wicked man, God will provide for them in a time of famine, seven years of famine. These guys did not deserve God's mercy in any way, shape, or form. God was preparing so that he could provide for them, yet they did not deserve. You see, God will work all sorts of things for us in our lives. And he will be working behind the scenes so that he may give us glory, not deserving. One day this king will come back and he will make all things new. It will be a turbulent time for those who don't know Christ. But those who know Jesus, eternal life. In Joseph's day, those who did not know Joseph starved to death. Those who knew Joseph ate. Christ will come back again. Those who do not know him, oh dear. But those who know him will find life. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, this gospel is glorious. Christ died for you. And he's inviting you to the table. If you need to know more about him, there'll be a team here. I'll be around as well. Happy to chat about how you can know this Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the way you work behind the scenes. You worked behind the scenes in Joseph's life to put things in place through unfortunate circumstances. And now Joseph became the second most powerful person in Egypt. And being there, he was now able to provide for the nation of Israel. And not just for the nation, but for the whole world. Lord, you're always working behind the scenes in our lives. And sometimes we, not, we, we have no idea what you're about and what you're, what you're doing. But Lord, we know that even as you work behind the scenes, you are sanctifying us and you will present us perfect. You're working toward our sanctification that we may be perfect and complete. And when you come one day, you usher us into your kingdom. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, would you help us to see your favor over our lives and to commit to loving you more than we do the things of the world. We commend ourselves now to you in Jesus' name. Amen.